In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Well, there it is, Brad, a little uh, blast from the past, the 1980s, of course, not too distant past. And uh, the great theme from Murder, She Wrote, which which I believe was based on a series of Agatha Christie novelinas, novellas, novellas. Novellas. novellas, yeah. Could Novelina, be novellas. Novella. Havelina, I believe, is a is like a little pig. So that's probably different. Could be. Could be. But a novella yeah. is a small book. And I think you're right about that. And Murder She Wrote was one of those things like Let's Eat Grandma, where the comma placement is critical, right? Because it's murder, comma, she wrote, right? Just like it should be let's eat, comma, grandma. Because if you take the comma out, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. Of course, you can learn more about our our big show on our website, ipfrequently.com. You can follow us on Instagram at IP underscore frequently and really on any social media outlet that's on this side of the big uh, iron curtain or Chinese wall or, or whatever it is. And then uh, also you can uh, find us featured on the Salem Podcast Network, the big Salem Podcast Network, a lot of right wingers on that network. Uh, First, Brad, we always start every week with the big news items of the week that everyone needs to know. They need to listen to this, write it down, take it wherever they go, not just to work, not just to work, to the coffee shop, to the laundrette, to the laundrette, the rolling derby or roller derby, whatever it is. If you go to the uh, to to buy your pack of smokes in the morning, uh, if you go get the train, you go to the bowling alley for your league, wherever you're going, bring these notes with you. Make sure you take them down accurately because we don't want to be misquoted and then parrot back what we tell you to say here and then you'll be the smartest guy or gal in the room correct all of that's correct first brad of course uh the big uh, the big news and i believe you were once a proud member of the federal bureau of investigation the home of the great j edgar hoover and uh once the uh the, the preeminent law enforcement organization this side of scotland yard that is true. Yeah, I was a special agent with the FBI. It was once a preeminent law enforcement organization, although it has fallen on hard times, my friend, unfortunately, because my guess is that the guys who are actually and gals and, and whatever else the case may be out on the street, you know, carrying handcuffs and a gun are probably doing as good, if not better a job than I ever did. But the leadership, my friend, troubling. Troubling. And I believe you once told me that you knew FBI analyst Brian Auten. Is that correct? Oh, I don't remember. I met a lot of analysts. There's a lot of analysts in the bureau, but I don't specifically remember. Is it a Mr. Miss? Um, of course, the FBI was neck deep in the whole Russiagate. The Russiagate thing where the Trump administration colluded with the Russians to uh, um, hack the 2016 election and then and then make uh, 
Trump, the appointed president of the United States. Uh, of course, it turns out that the FBI was neck deep in this, too. Of course, they were part of the whole Steele dossier. Remember, the Steele dossier was uh, something done by that British intelligence officer, Christopher Steele, yeah. uh, who uh, came up with this story about Trump going to Russia and money coming back and forth between Trump and Russian banks and nights at the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow involving, I believe, a lot of urine uh, and, and some throuples and some throuples. And uh, turns out the whole thing was debunked. But uh, now more light is being shed on this as part of a special prosecutor who's in the middle of investigating the Bureau, among others. And this is a great um, 2016 um, attempt to sort of tilt the election towards Hillary Clinton. A lot right. of this was funded by the Clinton administration. And it turns out the FBI, and this is according to their analyst, Brian Otten, who under oath testified this week that in 2016, the FBI offered Christopher Steele $1 million in cash to provide uh, to prove up his dirty dossier allegations uh, about Trump colluding with Russia. Uh, and is it, let me just ask you a question. I mean, we, we, so a million dollars in cash is a lot of money. Is it, is it just lying around there? Is, it, is there a petty cash? You go take that out of like the uh, how does that work? I mean, who, I, who signs I not, that money out? Yeah, I, I, that's an excellent question and one that should be answered because I, I had not read that. But I can tell you that getting you know, 500 bucks out of the bureau if you were working. So I, I spent the early portion of my career working on a task force, which is where you work with local and state law enforcement officials and you pursue violent gang members, right? So you, it's sort of a combination of a violent crime squad and a drug squad, but specifically on gangs. And, you know, we would do drug buys, typically not the agents themselves. Typically you had a, what was referred to in the agency as a source someone who probably had been a drug dealer themselves that you had flipped, you know, to come over to the good guys and they would go out and make the buys. So you would provide them with cash. And, you know, in my day, and again, it was a while ago, admittedly, but in my day, if you wanted 500 bucks, I mean, you better have a damn good reason why you were going to spend that money. And you better be able to point to exactly how you were going to be able to bring down a fairly sophisticated criminal enterprise if you were going to burn that kind of dough. Now, again, there were much larger cases than the ones I worked, international drug cases where you know tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars would regularly be spent acquiring drugs or guns or you know information, whatever the case may be. Again, I was working local gangs, much smaller time than that. Uh, but buddy, a million bucks okay, is a lot of money. So they were trying to prove up various they, they allegedly were trying to prove up various aspects of this uh, dossier. One, that Trump was in contact with Russian officials. Uh, there were allegations that there were uh, videos of Trump engaged in sexual activities at a Moscow hotel. They wanted those videos. Why? I don't know. And then also there were allegations that Trump paid prostitutes to urinate on a bed once slept on. Uh, in by Barack and Michelle Obama. Again, they wanted that information as well. All seemingly very important uh, information. But what if they get the video? Like, like if you're if you're a, 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 a G man, right? You get the uh, you get the video. Then what? What do you do? But I myself have no interest in looking at any of that. I don't want to see anybody peeing on anything. I certainly don't want to see Donald Trump engaged in any sort of activity where you know nakedness might be involved. That's not what we're looking for. So I, you know, again, there are analysts for that, people like Mr. Otten, who can review those things and, and you know, work with the agents on that. So I would have, I would have leveraged my local analysts for that to avoid that. 
So the question is, does the FBI have jurisdiction uh, over crimes that are happening vis-a-vis, you know, urine and mattresses in Moscow? Uh, Generally speaking, no, buddy. Now, if a U.S. citizen was a victim of that crime, for instance, if the mattress was a United States citizen, crimes against Americans fall within the jurisdiction of the FBI. Uh, But certainly in a place like Moscow, you would have to you know, have the cooperation of the local gendarmes, as we like to say, in order to be able to pursue that. And you're going to have to, you know, walk a tight line if you're going to bring the prosecution of that crime back into the U.S. court system, right? And so, that, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. We don't want to turn this into the judicial hour. But again, the, the question, everybody needs to look at the FBI and say, okay, let me get this straight. You're paying a million bucks, to see prostitutes pee on a mattress, mat- said mattress residing in Moscow, said Moscow residing in Russia, which is a foreign country. You're paying a million bucks to get a video of that. What exactly are you, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, going to do with that? Right now, I know what Hillary Clinton would do with it. She'd watch it over and over and over again because I'm sure she'd find it arousing. Sure but was. setting that aside, I'm sure that her campaign folks hoped that, that they could smear Donald Trump with that. And so I can understand why the Clinton campaign may have paid a million bucks for video of that uh, solely to smear their political opponent. But when you're going through the Federal Bureau of Investigation and having them do it, you got real problems. And again, questions here, questions that need answering. They do, Brad. They do. Um, and uh, and listen, we'll, we'll, we're going to continue to monitor this. We will get to the bottom of it at some point. Um, but it's a very juicy story. Speaking of which, Brad, an update now on the big anal uh, cheating allegations. Of course, anal beads uh, are a big part of, uh, of anal cheating. cheating. Anal I cheating. Wanna, I, it's bad, buddy. They're using, they using anal beads to cheat at chess. I believe there are other sports that are involved as well. Quiz shows, perhaps. Um, and now... Uh, Thanks to the uh, investigatory work of our producer, uh, we have found a do-it-yourself kit that allows you to make your own wireless uh, system that's to be utilized anally uh, that helps you to cheat at events, whether it be a spelling bee or a a bowling tournament or some sort of a tumbling competition, although that could get dicey. Um, But uh, Brad, it seems like we now have a roadmap that we can give to our, uh, our listeners out there to uh, uh, do some of these same things that I think uh, Mr. Lars Clausen or whatever his name was, the grandmaster, the grand wizard of chess was, uh, was doing. Yeah. Hey, buddy. And again, the key, the key part of the phrase here, and do it yourself, is, is the yours, the second person, right? Because I'm not doing that myself in the first person. I have no interest in building a widget uh, that can be remotely controlled and then inserted in, uh, you know, my six o'clock. I'm not, uh, that's not, I don't, I'm not about that. I'm not interested in that. Even if it would help me win at chess, which I don't know how to play, I I'm not down for that, but I I do tip my cap at the investigation done by our producer. And he did find a DIY version of this. It all looks somewhat complicated, involves soldering irons and plastic capsules. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not interested in any of that. But should any of our listenership either, either be interested in cheating at something or 
be interested at catching someone cheating at something, you may want to review these instructions. This may be something for the FBI. Maybe they should come in and look at this, review it. I mean, the question for me is, you know, you've certainly got the receiver, right? You've got the the receiver part down here, and then the transmitter is what's happening over on the computer or on the, you know, the little the little tapping device or whatever it is you're using, a mm-hmm. uh, little, little drum beat. But I mean, you've really got to be simpatico with. Oh, the, you got some jazz in your soul there. I like the little hi hat. I do, right I do. There. But, you've, yeah, got, you've, I like but you've got to be, you've got to be simpatico in terms of receiver, the pitcher and catcher, we'll call it, or whatever here. <laughs> um, in terms of, you know, getting these signals across so that the person who's cheating can actually go through and, and deliver on that as opposed to you know just sort of sitting there with a stick up his ass. Yeah. Well, buddy, I mean, again, you know, there, there's, this is fraught with all kinds of peril and perhaps the only thing that could be worse than actually subjecting yourself to this is realizing, oh, damn it. I forgot the code. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I can't remember if three shorts and two longs is the night. Maybe it's the rook. You know, maybe it's, you know, code word Armageddon. You got to get out of there. You can't remember. Yeah, yeah that's uh, yeah. So, I mean, you're right. Pal. You're right. I mean, if you're going to subject yourself to this, the actual ability to communicate one way, as the case may be, uh, is critical. Again, I don't know, Brad, but listen, we have a lot here to think about, a lot to ponder. Let's go to a little more serious matters and do like a little lightning round, like in terms of the land of woke. What do you think? Well, let's try it, buddy. Sounds like fun. Let's do it. So so the, there are a lot of things that have happened over the past week in society as a whole, and it's important mm-hmm. to sort of take stock, if you will, on all that. So mm-hmm. first, Virgin Atlantic, one of your favorite airlines. You like Virgin. I didn't know they were still around. Maybe it's Virgin American that's not around anymore. They're gone. Yeah, they're they're yeah, okay. right. Virgin Atlantic is the uh, okay. uh, Brothman or Brosnan. owned by the uh, the balloon guy, right? Richard Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, the the Bond. Pierce, the Pierce Bond. Brosnan. Okay, yeah, he was the Bond yeah. before um, after Roger Moore, I believe. But in any event, okay. it's neither here nor there. Uh, they have now Virgin Atlantic is it, it, they look. They are a trendsetter if you will, in terms of woke policies and, and, and really inclusive policies. And they now have um, permitted their employees mm-hmm. to choose uniforms. These are these are stewardesses mm-hmm. and male mm-hmm. steward eye. I believe it's mm-hmm. a steward eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got them all sort of uh, lumped together. You, you decide what gender you are and everything. And uh, they are letting people choose whatever uniform best represents them. And they're giving them a few different options. And um, they're going to have like uh, pronoun badges that these people can wear. So the customers of these airplane airlines are, are going to know what to call them, what their preferred pronouns are. Mm-hmm. And um, they have teamed up with a number of LGBTQ plus celebrities uh, to come up with clothing uh, uh, options, uniform options that suit a particular person's pronoun. So for example, men are being encouraged if they want to, to wear skirts um, as a way of sort of personifying their uh, pronoun du jour of choice or whatever it is. And um, so they've removed all gendered clothing and requirements and they've moved to more of an androgynous thing where, you know, men can be men and women can be not really androgynous because men are going to be wearing skirts. But uh, in any event, uh, Brad, uh, once again, Virgin is at the forefront of this. And it looks like the next time you fly the friendly skies, uh, you could be in for a, a, 
quite a quite a quite a surprise. Yeah. So I mean, here you are. If you're on an airplane and you see a man in a skirt, then one of two things is going on. You're either on Virgin Atlantic or you're in Scotland, right? I mean, th- th- those can be the only two options, right? And and given that you're on an airplane, you're probably on a Virgin Atlantic airplane. But let me ask you this question, buddy. When was the last time you gave a crap about a stewardess's pronouns? Like when was the last time you were sitting in your seat on the aircraft and you said to yourself, damn it, I need to refer to the stewardess by a pronoun. I can't say, you know, I, 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 you know, I can't ring my call button. I can't do any of the things that you would normally associate with getting a stewardess's attention. And I need to the pronoun and I need to be able to use it correctly. I mean, that it, it just, you know, the general use of pronouns is not required on an airplane for purposes of communicating with the, uh, with the attendant staff. So who cares? Who cares? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's it, usually you, you just be polite and you just, yeah, but look, if someone wants to be called a particular thing, like a name, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. No problem with that. But I think that, uh, I think that ultimately people have to, uh, and you just be generally polite as mm-hmm. a human being and you're going to be, and you're going to be fine. Uh, but I do think that, uh, I do think that sometimes some of these uh, airlines and, and some of these companies have gone quite overboard in terms of how they're, um, how they're accommodating some very radical positions. Yeah. And it's just bizarre. I mean, it's just bizarre. And again, it just goes to show you, if you're in charge of Virgin Atlantic, you, you're, you have taken your eye off the ball. Again, you and I own a business. We definitely do what we can. No word of a lie. Not joking around here. You and I give due consideration to how we can make our office space, you know, comfortable and accommodating for the folks that we've hired, because we think we've hired some good folks and we like them. Right. And yeah. so, and so we do that. Right. But we also realize that it's will cease to be a business and it will not matter how comfortable those folks are if we are not meeting the needs of our clients, right. Of the folks who come to us for our particular business acumen. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I don't think anyone will understand until we get up there and fly the friendly skies, my friend. Next, Brad, uh, we've told everyone that we are going to continue to monitor the election, right? Because obviously the election is a big deal and uh, this could be a turnover year for the House, maybe the Senate. Uh, There could be an opportunity to have divided government again, which the market loves and small businesses do, too, because nothing gets done and no one in Washington can hurt you except for the many government agencies that regulate your life. Um, But uh, we see more and more problems with the electoral process and, and, you know, especially this concept of meddling with the uh, the Soviets, Brad, the Soviets meddling in our election in Georgia and uh, various and sundry parts of the uh, Commonwealth of Arizona. Uh, Now we learn that Emily Rose Grover, Emily Rose uh, Grover, who um, of course is uh, currently, I I believe, a uh, uh, plaintiff in a lawsuit where she is trying to get her good name back after being accused of rigging uh, an election uh, for homecoming queen in uh, a Northwestern Florida prep school where uh, where she apparently rigged the election by logging on to her. I guess her mother was a um, an employee in the uh, in the school. I don't know if she was a, an admin or what, but she had her uh, ability to um, 
uh, log into the system and get access to all the kids' profiles. And I, I, I guess, uh, amazingly enough, what they've done is they've made the land of voting for homecoming king and queen much less secure by taking it out of the hands of paper ballots that like you and I would uh, would mm-hmm. generate and putting it into this, these apps where you log into your student ID and you vote for somebody and uh, you know, and then you, that, that's what decides the winner. Well, apparently this, uh, this woman um, uh, the, used her mother's account to go in and meddle in this high school election and uh, add about 250 votes to the tally, 250 bogus votes for her homecoming queen bid. And that was enough to put her over the top uh, until uh, she was caught and uh, and sent away to jail. But now, uh, <laughs> now, Brad, uh, uh, apparently she is seeking uh, retribution. She is suing the school district, I believe, um, probably the city, the state, the country, whoever she can for civil rights violations, um, saying that she never uh, uh, it was never proven that she actually stole the election uh, for homecoming queen of uh, what appears to be a high school in northwestern Florida. And uh, she's seeking some uh, some some cash and uh, really her good name back, Brad. And so you see something like this. And you see the fact that uh, a, uh, and I guess it was Tate High School, see that the fact that the Tate High School electoral system has been thrown into a state of chaos with 250 extra votes tabulated and counted. And then you don't know which votes to throw out. Do you throw out this vote, that vote? Maybe she won the election. Maybe she didn't meddle in it. Maybe someone else did. Maybe it was the Russians, the Iranians. I, I don't know. Um, but when you see this, Brad, and when you understand that this is the type of undermining we're worried about, does it give you pause to say, you know what, President Trump, uh, former President Trump may have a point, and maybe some other groups meddled in the election like this Grover woman uh, and, uh, you know, get themselves elected to much higher, loftier positions than the homecoming queen of Tate High School? Well, your point is well taken. It does make one wonder, but I am going to do what every responsible American should do in these times and just wait on the FBI raid. I mean, eventually the FBI will raid Miss Grover's palatial estate and they will take her passports, her goiter medicine, et cetera, along with potentially any evidence there may be that she meddled in this homecoming queen election and and maybe the king. I mean, I don't know if anyone's looked into whether or not the king was properly voted for, whether there was some meddling there as well. I mean, typically, if there's a problem on the queen's side, you get a repercussion on the king's side. I think, you know, most folks that are familiar with the way homecomings work will be familiar with that. And so I I, I think the thing, buddy, is we we all just have to wait on the FBI raid. And then, you know, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it as we have done with the raid that was done on Trump and Mar-a-Lago. My understanding is that's all taken care of now, that justice has you know, moved forward, that there's no question that uh, you know, there was some form of malfeasance there, that there's been no issues of whether or not it was the right or wrong thing to do. Uh, you know, it's just pretty straightforward stuff, just like it would be with this uh, homecoming election. And it seems like there are a lot of facts that need to come out, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of information we don't have. Well, now they we say- don't do that anymore in this country, buddy. We don't trouble ourselves with the fact. We just make up the narrative, right? So there will be a group who wants Grover to burn for this. There will be a group who thinks Grover is amazing. And, you know, they'll battle it out in the streets. The FBI will get involved. Maybe the attorney general. 
uh, somebody will accuse somebody else of being a racist. Then there'll be a, a march in the streets by the transgender folks who don't feel like their voice was heard in this process. And then, you know, that's how we get to the bottom of things these days in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that I found curious was that they said there were about 200 um, votes uh, for homecoming that came from the same IP address associated with Grover's home uh, mm-hmm. within a short period of time. But I mean, that's not dispositive of anything. And, and, and quite frankly, it could have been uh, there. There could be very easy um, uh, reasons for that. Um, it could be a, a simple mistake. Maybe uh, maybe the FBI was wrong about this. But listen, I do appreciate the fact that law enforcement is looking into this, is spending countless cycles on this, because I don't know about you, but I wake up every morning saying, who was the duly elected homecoming queen of Tate High School in the Florida Panhandle in 2020? And I, I just can't give you the answer right now. I don't know. Well, and, and that's troubling, right? Because it's these types of little small town elections that create the foundation upon which we build bigger elections. Mm-hmm. Right? And if we, if we cannot trust the outcome of the Tate High School homecoming queen election, how can we possibly trust Yeah, any other election? And look, it's entirely possible that 200 fellow students were walking past their friend, Miss Grover's house at the time they chose to vote and, you know, connected to her network, certainly without their knowledge and Mm -hmm. cast their vote. Yeah. I mean, do we, to me, that seems just as reasonable. I think, yeah, I think so. I think it's, I think it's outrageous what's happening here. And look, I, I think the federal government needs to get involved and reinstate her as that homecoming queen. And then the question becomes, how do you make her whole? I mean, do you give her another year of eligibility to reign? I mean, I, I just don't know. Well, you make JFK Jr. her, her king. You could do that. He'll, he'll yeah, much soon. like, you know, we were going to see Trump was going to be reinstated by JFK Jr. Who was going to rise from the grave. All of that seemed perfectly plausible to me. I don't know why it couldn't happen here. You know, the more I think about it, I think that's uh, spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, uh, Next, Brad, as you know, I am building a new home, a new home. And I had a conversation this morning that I thought you'd be interested in. Oh, good. Yeah. It's a lovely home to date. I'm I'm hoping that you're not going to tell me some bad news with respect to it. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you some good news because I learned today. and, and, And as you know, you and I often do business with the same people because, you know, if, it, if something works out well for me or for you, then the other one usually tries to free ride on that experience and take advantage of a good vendor. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and so obviously you and I have both share, we both share the same audio visual vendor who also does uh, work um, from time to time for our company. Um, and as well as moonlighting is an organ grinder, as I understand it, that, that is correct. Makes a lot of spare change by the subway. Mm -hmm. Um, so today I had a conversation with this person who I will not name because he's not paying for advertising and I don't want to give him a big head or a, uh, an advantage, but, but, uh, very interesting shop. They, they, they put in your, your cable. They, uh, make sure that everything is hooked up and connected and more often than not, sometimes, um, works properly. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, But today I had a conversation about the speakers going into my home. Do you have speakers in your home? Uh, We do have speakers in our home. At the moment, they don't work. Mm -hmm. Well, Brad, we don't have to get into that because, of course, the story is not about you. But I had a conversation today um, 
about the speakers going into the home. And I, and I, and I said, listen, I, I said, what, what is this going to cost? Cause we're already because of inflation and because of just all the nonsense going on out there over budget. Mm-hmm. So what is this going to cost? And I was given this whole story about how you could get the conventional speakers, the ones that I have in my home and the ones that you have in your home, both of which mm-hmm. I don't think work. Um, and they were like $300 for a pair, right. Of these conventional speakers. But, but Brad, um, there's a new, there's a new phenomenon. And for $700 for a pair, you can get invisible speakers. Wow. Now, are you concerned that as you move through the house, you'll inadvertently run into them because they're invisible? They're invisible. I'm told they're built into the sheetrock on the ceiling. Hmm. Okay. So you, you sheetrock over these things and uh, they're twice the price of conventional speakers. And of course, the first thing I said was, how am I going to know they exist? Um, you know, how will I be able to see it out? And I was told, no, absolutely not. They, you, you will not see, you'll never see them. And so I, I said, well, listen, if I never see them, how will I know they exist? And he'll, he said, well, listen, you'll hear them. And I said, well, I don't hear them now and I can see the speakers. If I can't see the speakers, how am I going to hear those? Because the ones in the house here, as you said, don't really work. My next question was, let's assume these invisible speakers do actually exist and they're in mm-hmm. the sheetrock. When mm-hmm. one doesn't work, which I assume you would know by not being able to hear it, one, how do you identify where it is for two, when you have to tear it down, including the whole ceiling? And right. I was told today, Brad, I was told today by our source that that never happens. It's never happened once. No, it's never happened in the history of mankind. Interestingly, though, my understanding is that when a speaker ceases to work, it becomes visible, right? Like the whole magical system that surrounds it, that keeps it invisible, but still allows it to produce pleasant sounds at your at the time and place of your choosing and with the music of your choosing, that that advanced quantum-driven system that provides for both a cloaking device and musical production. When the speaker fails, that all fails. But I, you know what? But the more I think about that, the more I think you can rely upon this particular person because I've never had anything he's done work exactly like he said it was going to. And so maybe what you're going to get is readily visible speakers that don't play sound That would be my guess. And so you don't really have the concern about being able to identify where they are, because my guess is that that none of what you're being told is true, that they will, in fact, be apparent. And uh, but then, of course, not actually produce sound. So I'm thinking about this and I'm I'm saying to myself, I'm saying, listen, is this guy actually going to put these speakers in? Is he just going to take your money and say they're there? And, you know, like my uncle did with that cat that he had that always uh, said he had a cat and uh, you never saw the cat because there was no cat. Right. So I'm thinking there are no speakers. He's just going to charge me 700 bucks a pair for like three million pairs. just don't exist. Well, buddy, there you go. I mean, that is without question something. Next, Brad. I don't know if you saw this story. There, there was a lot of there was a lot more violence in sports, and there was a little uh, compilation of all the fights that took place during the first couple of weeks of the NFL hmm. season. Just guys brawling with other guys, girls hitting guys, guys hitting girls, people throwing food at other people, smashing people with chairs. I mean, just utter chaos. I mean, some of the wildest fights I've ever seen. But now, 
it's sort of trickling down to lower levels of sports competition. And there is this story of Tira Hunt. Tira Hunt is, of course, a, uh, a mother of a uh, California mother, a, a basketball mom who is very vocal. And there's now a video out of Tira Hunt. Um, her daughter is just an extremely sweet uh, young lady who plays uh, girls, girls basketball, you know, WNBA type deal. Mm hmm. And uh, there's a very, very nice um, uh, family, nice mother. Uh, I guess uh, her daughter, whose name is not released because, of course, she uh, is a minor, um, was in the middle of a game. A like couple a CO2 years. minor? No, no. Like ER versus OR. Oh, uh, right, right. Okay, yeah, I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, she was on the court uh, and, and was tripped. And her mother came out and on video starts screaming that she should just hit one of the opposing players. And so the kid just gave a full on lariat. You know what a lariat is? I do. A yes. lariat to this other girl. I don't even think it was the girl that tripped her and just, you know, knocked her, almost knocked her out, gave her a concussion. It was a, it, 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 it was a shot. She just gave her a shot and the mother's cheering her on and there's just chaos on the court. They end up calling the game. But uh, um, this, this woman is now being charged uh, and ordered the mother ordered to pay restitution to the victim's family and the, to the tune of 9,000 smackers, 9,000 <laughs> 9, smackers. Um, and, uh, and it's having to enter into a diversion program and potentially go away to Rikers for a while or, 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 you know, the, the Alcatraz. Um, but it, it seems to me that it's a good thing. It's a good thing that parents are now being held accountable for the, uh, the uh, incorrigible acts of their children, especially when they're encouraging them on a, in a public uh, school setting. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, but I, <laughs> I mean, this is what comes from not wanting to hold anyone responsible for their actions. So obviously there's something terribly wrong with the mother, right? I mean, the fact that you would want to see some, any child hurt, especially by your child as part of a youth sports, it's just indicative of where we have gotten in this country. But again, where else can you go when the lesson that's being taught at every level of government is, hey, you know, no one's going to hold you responsible to it. You burn down a building, ransack someone's business, hold a gun to someone's head, you do whatever you want. No one's going to hold you responsible. What else is going to happen? Yeah, it's not it's not good. But I mean, at least this is a step in the right direction. And we're starting to hold people somewhat accountable. And some, some of this stuff is it's not even there's no place for it in the game of women's high school basketball. And it's just a, it's just a, at this point, it's just a melee. Um, but you have to question the the mother for encouraging it and then the kid for going ahead and, and actually doing it. Um, but very, uh, very disappointing. Uh, next, Brad, Unsolved Mysteries. This week, we explore the LPGA tour, not the fact that there are a lot of Subaru Foresters in the parking lot of all LPGA events, but rather the question that you and I have asked so often, can a biological male play on the LPGA tour? And to solve this mystery, it's obviously wrapped in an enigma and a riddle and in a chestnut. Um, we give you uh, Haley Davidson. Haley Davidson, 29, is, uh, is, is currently on pace to qualify for the Ladies Professional Golf Association Tour, LPGAT. Um, and uh, she's out there just killing it a lot like that swimmer from UPenn. And, um, and, and, and so 
you know, it looks like a biological male can play on the LPGA tour. Of course, there's a lot of uproar about this folks saying that because Haley Davidson is a biological male, that it's unfair that when she hits the ball, it goes a lot farther. Um, and obviously if you put Jack Nicholas on the golf course with, uh, um, one of the top uh, female golfers of the eighties or Tiger Woods in the two thousands, it wouldn't be close. Um, but in this case, they are letting this young man go forward uh, with uh, her, her her tour card, getting her tour card. And so we are going to see probably our first biological male, Brad, on the ladies PGA tour. And that is another unsolved mystery that you and I have solved. Yeah. So there you go. If you're wondering if there was going to be a dude playing women's golf, the answer is yes. Um, you might say to yourself, well, golly, I mean, wonder if there's anything you have to do uh, to make that happen if you are a you know third rate professional hopeful in the sport of golf and you would like to get on some tour and perhaps get paid you look down you see that you have male genitalia you realize well golly that's not going to happen for me and then you realize wait a minute if i just say that i identify as a woman then i can go and get my lpga tour card and you know take advantage of all the aspects of being a male, hit the ball farther, hit the ball harder, et cetera, and uh, you know, get paid for doing it. So and since all I simply have to do is state that I feel like a woman in order to be able to make that happen, perhaps sing the song, uh, I feel like a woman, whatever, whatever it takes, then you can you know, become a professional female golfer. No one was allowed to tell you that's crazy. No one is allowed to defend the women who have dedicated their lives to perfecting their own version of the sport. Certainly no feminist is going to stand up against you for reasons I don't understand. And you can go out there and win that tour, take the money, and then settle down nicely and raise a family with someone who was born, I guess, a woman, but identifies as a man. Yep. Bingo. Bingo. So that's another unsolved mystery like the Yeti. We put that behind us. We are now uh, just cutting through unsolved mysteries like hot knives through butter, my friend. Next, Brad, RIP report, uh, the great Jessica Fletcher, Angela Lansbury, one of the greatest shows of all time. I mean, she was also, of course, um, a great stage actress, screen actress. She played the teapot in The Beauty and the Beast. Yes, Mrs. Potts. Great Mrs. Role. Potts. She was so I mean, iconic. I think she was like, what, like 96 years old and um, a very interesting life story. But uh, some would say America's sweetheart. Some would, and I, you know, it would be hard to dispute. She will be sorely missed. Yeah, the two best stories about murder she wrote are one: the old John um, John Madden and uh, Pat Summerall Sunday afternoon football. Whenever they do the little, you know, breakdown of what's coming up, they do sixty minutes. And then Summerall used to drink heavily, and he would have bets with Madden about how long he could hold that comma. So he would say, "Tonight, <laughs> Jessica Fletcher is back." on murder she wrote and there are actually videos of this and you hear madden cracking up in the background and then then the other story that i didn't know until she passed away was that apparently her daughter was a heroin addict in la in the 70s in the early 70s and she moved her daughter and the rest of her family from uh la from hollywood to ireland to get away from the bad influence of this uh, group that she was hanging out with. Uh, and it turns out that the individual, the, the, the boy she was hanging out with and dating was a young Charles Manson. 
young Charles Manson. See, that turns out to be a prescient move by a gal who would soon thereafter portray a very prescient detective, right? I mean, if if you go back in time and say, hey, what's one of the top things you want to do on that list would be get my daughter away from Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Go to Ireland, have a pint. Yeah, do whatever you got to do. And then you come back and you solve solve mysteries in a town where there was just an inordinate amount of people that died in that town. But uh, that's, again, neither. But none of them went unsolved, buddy. I mean, if if you have to be murdered in a town, you want to be murdered where Angela Lansbury is because you're not coming back, but at least it'll be solved. Yeah. And then the, and then the great the great thing, they would do those crossovers. So every once in a while, you'd see like uh, she goes to she goes to um, Hawaii and she's on Magnum P.I. Um, right. Just, yes. Terrific, terrific stuff. Uh, anyway, Brad, finally, Barter Band, the uh, the uh, bronze Stevie Award winning uh, segment, huge, huge in Norway and Finland. Everyone wants to hear it. We couldn't go obviously, uh, until we, uh, do our barter band segment. So this week, Brad, the, uh, barter band question is, should you bar or band the extinction rebellion group in Australia? I don't know. Of course, Just being honest with you. I mean, look, it's a great it's a great group of protesters. They're notorious for the disruptive protests, um, advocates to burn the Australian flag, which is just sacrilege outside of parliament. Um, They have uh, wheeled a mechanical burning koala prop through Melbourne. What they're looking for is not exactly clear. But this all, of course, came to the head uh, this past week when a retired teacher a member of this group, Tony Gleason, 59, from uh, Melbourne, I believe, or somewhere else in Australia, Mm -hmm. and his accomplice, Catherine Strong, uh, went to the uh, National Gallery of Art in Victoria and each superglued their hands to a $280 million Picasso painting. Um, This is all about climate change. It's an existential threat, as you know. Um, But uh, what they did is uh, they they literally superglued themselves to this painting in protest, live streamed it on the Facebook uh, and uh, and basically said, look, this is about the Extinction Rebellion and the fact that we need to make uh, make changes. And they did use the uh, the original superglue, if that's uh, if that makes sense. So I guess the question is barred or banned. So let's just set aside the fact that ever since you and I have been five years old, we've been told that we weren't going to live till 10. And then when we hit 10, it was 15. It was 15. It was 25. It was 25. It was 45. You know, you and I have been told no less than, you know, half a dozen times that there were ages that we have blown through by the grace of God that we wouldn't see, no one would see because, you know, the the great climate catastrophe was coming. I mean, if you think I'm kidding, go back and look, right? Go back and look at Time Magazine, go back and look at People Magazine, go back and look at all of that and see what dates they were putting on, you know, climate catastrophes, right? Now, whether or not one is coming, I don't know. Not a climatologist. I'm just telling you, I've got a little bit of the boy who cried wolf syndrome when it comes to this. But setting aside all of that, the caliber of human being who thinks burning a flag is going to do anything, right? That, 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 that anyone is going to stop what they're doing and say, well, there's a well-reasoned argument being made there through the burning of that flag. And I have now changed my position on this is a moron, right? I mean, you're just a moron. If you think burning a flag is going to do anything, you're an idiot, Okay. And then to go and super glue yourself to a $280 million picture. And listen, I'm not a huge art guy, as you know. I mean, it's just not my wheelhouse. I have a daughter who's a very good artist, actually teaches art. So I'm not knocking it in any way. But I can tell you right now, 
that if you glue yourself to anything that costs 280 million bucks, that the person who possesses that object will happily rip your arm off at the shoulder <laughs> to get it back. Okay. You're not influencing anyone. So what you people really are is just spotlight hounds, right? You're just glory hounds. You just want people to pay attention to you. So I tell you what, pal, do yourself a favor, get yourself a TikTok. Okay. Maybe 15, maybe 20 people, maybe 50, which would be 49 more than paid attention to you gluing yourself to a painting. will will subscribe to your TikTok and, and watch you dance around or whatever the hell it is you do on TikTok. And it will prevent you from having your arm ripped off. Okay. So if, if that's all you want, if you just want people to pay attention to you because your self-esteem is so low, then my suggestion to you is put the super glue down and get a TikTok. And then we won't have to do it for you. You will ban or bar or ban for yourself that behavior, which I think is probably best for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a little more color on this. He did this Mr. Gleason, Tony Gleason, who's a poor man's Jay Leno, strangely enough, uh, said that uh, in, in regard to super gluing himself to the $280 million Picasso, the decision wasn't taken lightly. It was carefully planned and there were more than uh, two of us involved. Uh, sounds like the collusion with Russia, with Russia and Trump. Uh, there was a lot of security, so we had to take that into account. We prepared long and hard for this. Um, this is pretty serious stuff. We are facing a climate and ecological emergency. So there it is. And you know, he, he took questions from people. The the spokeswoman for the Extinction Rebellion, Catherine Strong, who is a looker, by the way, I'm just gonna say that for the record as a looker, uh, said, quote, people can believe we're idiots all they want and maybe we are idiots, who knows? So there it is, Brad. I'm gonna say, when you have someone who's an admitted idiot super gluing themselves to a $280 million painting, that by the way, ain't that good looking and I really wouldn't put it up in my house. Mm, uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say they should be banned. Yeah. You know what? I will, again, I will tip of the cap to the gal who recognizes that they're idiots and who recognizes that gluing yourself to a painting, any painting, a Picasso painting, a kindergartner's painting, a painting you may have done yourself five minutes before is not going to change the climate, right? I mean, I I presume if these folks had put all of this planning and, you know, et cetera, into actually changing the climate, Maybe just sending a note to John Forbes Carey saying, hey, we'd appreciate it if you didn't fly your private jet around to all these climate conferences so that you can pontificate like an arrogant boob to everyone around you. You know, we would appreciate that. That would have been a better use of your time. But I agree with you, buddy. I think we're on the same page. The whole thing should be banned or barred. We'll look into exactly what you do if you've gotten super glue on a $280 million painting and we'll get back to everybody with that information next week, right here on IP frequently. This has been IP frequently once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.